The chapel was a lot of hype. The first night got everyone so hyped. It was just a blast. I saw God through a lot of different ways, especially the sermons. It was a lot of fun for me. And there was a lot of community building, which was nice. And there was like a lot of free time. I saw God in the whole campus, the staff, the leaders. Everywhere I went was Jesus speaking to me. Fall retreat is really good for building relationships with people in your D group, but winter retreat, because it's a much smaller community, it's so much easier to reach out and say hi to people that you don't normally say hi to. It's just like a super fun experience and there's a lot of memories to be made and that it's definitely something that can help you connect well with God. So if you're a flood student going to Camp Jim, it's gonna cost $140. For River, it's $145 to go to Camp Shamina. We both are gonna have our registration cut off at January 3rd. Students, I hope that you all sign up to go this year. It's gonna be a blast. Invite your friends, can't wait to see you there. Now let's see if I can find some more snow. Well, good morning. Great job, Sam. Love that video. Can you believe that we are seeing videos week after week now for 2024? Right? Things that are happening in 2000, it is December 17th. It absolutely feels like October 17th out there. Right? We are dreaming of a brown and muddy Christmas, I believe is how the song goes. This is, this is terrific. Well, I, I want to encourage you guys to, to sign up for that, and you'll see other things that are going on in 2024, I want to share with you something that I'm excited about for this coming year. Pastor Jason has worked very hard in order to put together a year-long Bible reading plan for 2024 that coincides with all of the sermons that are going to be given here at Friendship Church. He has spent a lot of time putting this together and worked very hard so that the passages that we read over the course of a week lead into that week's message. And so just want to encourage you to seek that out. You can get that on the app. It's right there in the front middle of the app, the Friendship Church app, as well as under Bible reading on our website as well. So just want to let you know about that and uh, you have a few days to prepare before it kicks off on January 1st. Love to have you join us for that Friendship Church Bible reading plan. And if you see Jason around, uh, say, hey, thanks for putting in the work on that. He put in a lot of work to get that ready. Before we get to 2024, though, we, we are going to celebrate Christmas in 2023, right? Isn't that what we're doing? Yeah, we are. You have eight days. Uh, right? A week from today, we will be here celebrating Christmas Eve together. Uh, I can't believe it. And we are going through a Christmas series entitled, Somewhere God Is. <laughs> hey, there it is. Yes. And we're looking at the attributes of God that can be seen in the coming of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And what have we seen thus far? Two weeks ago, we looked at the sovereignty of God. God working all things throughout all of history to bring about the plan of his son coming that he put in place before anything was ever made. Then last week we looked at God's holiness. We had a holiness problem, but the Holy One himself came in order to solve that holiness problem in our life. Good news. What are we going to be looking at today? Today, the attribute that we are going to be looking at is God's justice and his mercy. That's right, we're going to look at two for the price of one today. 
right? Don't, don't you feel privileged? You know, you feel like you're getting a bonus. I promise you the sermon will not be twice as long just because we're looking at two different attributes today. But I want to look at God's justice and his mercy because they seem incompatible. If God is just, how can he be merciful? If God is merciful, how can he possibly be just? And and what I want us to see as we look a little closer today is that justice and mercy are poured out from God at the same time, and they are poured out perfectly in the coming of Jesus Christ. When we talk about God being just, what do we mean by that? Well, part of what we mean is God rewards what is right, and he punishes what is wrong. Part of what it means that God is just is that he is the judge who rightly punishes, rightly and correctly punishes, every wrong that is ever done. Colossians chapter 3, verse 25 says, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. God is a just judge, and as such, he punishes every wrong that is ever done. God's justice is such good news for his creation. The fact that he rewards the right and punishes the wrong is such good news for his creation because it means that because the creator is just, his creation is endowed with a sense of justice. I would like you to imagine for a moment, if God was not just, what would his creation look like if there was no justice? There would be no sense of right and wrong. No hope that right would be rewarded or that wrong would be punished. One day... Kindness would be the action du jour, and the next day, murder would be the action du jour, and there would be no sense that one of those is right and the other is wrong. It would just be what happened. people happened to be doing that particular day. There'd be no hope that eventually wrongdoing would be punished and right would prevail. That only exists because we have a just God who has endowed the universe with some sense of justice. Now, that doesn't mean we always live by that sense of justice. But he's endowed the universe with that sense of justice that flows out of him because he is just. What good news that is for all of God's creation. But it is hard news for me. Because in his justice, God will completely and totally punish every wrong that has ever been done. And I have done a lot of wrong. As I look back over the course of my life, I can see various times where I have lied, cheated, stolen, lusted, coveted, where where I've been prideful, arrogant, judgmental. Should I keep going? I I could go on for a long time. If I look back over the X number of years of my life, There is a lengthy list of all of the things that I have done wrong, and God's justice means that must be punished. I was created to be in the image of Christ, to show his glory, and I've fallen short of that glory and have lived in selfishness and sin so often instead. God must punish that. And and he has outlined what the appropriate punishment for sin is Since before the first sin took place, before there was any sin, God said to Adam and Eve that if they chose to rebel against him and live their own way, the proper penalty would be death. That's right. You shall surely die. 
God is the source of all life, and they would be separated from him, the source of all life. Their souls would be dead. Uh, Think about this from the standpoint of heaven. Uh, Holy, just, majestic, infinite God makes some creatures out of the dirt. And he bestows upon these creatures from the dirt his love and his special favor and his blessing. And he says to these dirt creatures, live my way. I made you. I know what is best for you. And these creatures from the dirt look at their maker, almighty, majestic, holy God, and they say, we are going to live our way instead. At this point, a perfectly just God has told them what is wrong. He has told them what the punishment is for that wrong. He cannot be just and then just ignore what has happened. Justice demands that that wrong needs to be punished at this point. And the same has been true for generations. For generations, we have been sinning and rebelling against God, living life our own way. And God says there is appropriate punishment for that. So that we read in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. The same thing that he proclaimed in the garden is still true today. The wages of sin is death death. What are, what are our wages? Right? Our, our wages are what we are due for what we have done. If I make an agreement with uh, Denny and Lori to watch their dog this week, and they are going to pay me $100 an hour in order to watch their dog, they are very generous with the people who watch their dog, and I watch their dog for 10 hours at $100 an hour, Right? They now owe me $1,000. That's good dog-sitting money. Right? But that's the agreement that we made. It's what I am now due for what I have done. And what Romans 6.23 wants us to understand is what we are due for what we have done, sin, is death. Right? That, that's the rightful penalty for what we have done in our rebellion against God. We rightfully deserve death. That is the punishment that all of my sins deserve. It's hard news. But the Bible gives us hope and great news in the fact that God is not only just, he is also merciful. Do you know that the Bible says that God is merciful 360 different times? 360 times the Bible says God is merciful. What is mercy? Mercy is when I don't get the punishment that I deserve for what I have done. And David, when he has sinned with Bathsheba and had her husband killed, months later comes to a place where he confesses that sin and he repents. And Psalm 51 is this magnificent psalm of David's repentance. And he begins the psalm, have justice on me, O God. No, absolutely not. Right? Where is the hope? Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant or overflowing mercy, blot out my transgressions. Oh, there's hope in your mercy, dear God. When Jeremiah was prophet of Israel, the people of Israel had gone into a very dark place. 
They had abandoned their God. They were worshiping idols, even worshiping idols in the holy place of the temple. They were sacrificing children to Molech outside the city of Jerusalem. This was horrible, and now God was bringing an evil nation to come in and conquer them. And in the midst of all of that, Jeremiah still found a place where he could have hope. Right? What is it that brought hope to Jeremiah? He talks about it in the book of Lamentations, he says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What is the hope in the midst of all of that horrible sin, in the midst of the discipline that was coming because of that sin? His hope was that God's justice is new every morning. Right? Nope. His hope is that God's mercy is new every morning, right? Great is your faithfulness, Lord. Your mercies never come to an end. And so we see God is just and God is merciful. And we are right back to this problem where these two things seem incompatible. How is it possible that God is just and will punish each and every sin as it deserves and is also merciful and will not punish me for the sins that I have committed. How is that possible? Some people try to resolve this tension by just sacrificing one of God's attributes. I like his mercy better than his justice, so let's just say there's times his justice is inactive. Let's just pretend that his justice goes away sometimes. And then I can emphasize his mercy. This is actually the way that Allah works within Islam. When Allah shows mercy to the individual within Islam, it is by taking sin and punishment and brushing it under the rug and pretending that it didn't happen. So that that wrong and the appropriate punishment for it are just ignored so that Allah can show mercy to the individual. Right? The God of the Bible is not like this. The God of the Bible does not just remove his attributes at times. If God is just, he is just all of the time. Imagine what we would think if he wasn't. Uh, let's say that there is a murderer who goes through your neighborhood taking victim after victim, people you know, people you care about, people that, that you've spent time with. And then that, that murderer is caught and, and brought into the courtroom. And all of these charges are read by the judge that day, whose job it is to do justice. And the judge looks at all of these heinous crimes and all of the violence and all of the killing and says, you know... I'm hungry. It's been a challenging day today. Why don't you just go? Let's just forget any of this happened. What would happen at that point? Right? There would be a call for that judge's job immediately because the judge's job is to do justice. And, and we would say, whoa, that, that person cannot be a judge if they are unable to do what is just. And what is right, our society would fall apart very quickly if there weren't judges doing some sense of justice. God is just. He doesn't just set it aside at times and say, eh, I'm not going to be just right now. No, he is 
just. That attribute is always active. And so how does this work? How is God just? And he pours out all of the punishment necessary upon every wrong and every sin that has ever occurred and also merciful so that he doesn't pour it out upon me. Well, of course, the answer is perfectly intertwined within the person of Jesus Christ and his coming to earth. Because when Jesus came here, it was as the substitute who would take the punishment for my sin so that punishment could be perfectly and completely poured out, but upon him rather than upon me. God's justice could be satisfied as punishment is made upon him on the cross. And I might receive his mercy instead. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 talks about this. Look at this. And, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having, given us all, uh, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The picture in Colossians chapter 2 is that all of your sins are written on a ledger. And it is a lengthy ledger of all of your sins. And ultimately, those sins are forgiven. The written record is crossed out entirely. How? Because God says, let's just forget any of those things happened. Let's just brush all of that under the rug. No, that's not what the gospel is about. All of that is forgiven because that record of your wrongs was taken off of you and was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, 2,000 years ago, what was it that was nailed to a criminal's cross? It was the crime for which they were being executed, wasn't it? When Jesus was executed, what was nailed to his cross? Right? The king of the Jews. And the Jewish leaders came to Pilate and said, no, 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 please change that. Do he claim to be the king of the Jews? And Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. But what was attached, nailed to a criminal's cross 2,000 years ago was the crime for which they were being executed. So what is Colossians 2, 13 and 14 saying? It is saying that the crime for which Christ was executed was my list of sins. Right? All of the written record of my sins was nailed to the cross. The stated reason for his execution. So that I can now be forgiven. Right? I, I'm forgiven not because God sets his justice aside and sweeps our wrongdoings under the rug. I'm forgiven because Christ took all of the guilt and punishment for my sins upon himself. Right? God made him who knew no sin, to become sin, so that we might become the very righteousness of God. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, 1 Peter 2, 24. Right? God took our guilt and our punishment upon, him, upon himself on the cross so that justice might be done and we might be shown mercy. This is what Romans 3, 26 is talking about. Romans 3 is this, this beautiful passage about how we've sinned, 
But through the work of Jesus Christ, we can be declared righteous in the courtroom of God, right? Justified is the word, in the courtroom of God. And it ends with these words. This section ends with this word. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It seemed impossible that God could express both justice and mercy. But through the substitution of Jesus Christ, he is just and he is merciful or the justifier. He is completely just. Every sin, every wrongdoing ever committed will be punished. For those who don't accept Jesus' offer of salvation through faith, that sin will be punished on them throughout all of eternity. And that is what we refer to as hell. But for those who do accept Jesus' offer of salvation through faith in him, that sin is punished on Christ on the cross so that it will not be punished on them. And that is where the mercy comes in. He's just. Every sin will be rightfully punished, but he is also the justifier. Right? The, the word for justifier has the same root as the Greek word for righteousness or righteous. It means the one who declares righteous. We're declared righteous in the courtroom of God because Jesus has taken our guilt and our punishment. We, in return, receive his righteousness and now stand before God in the righteousness of Christ, not deserving any of that. It is all the mercy of God. And so we see within the person of Christ justice and mercy perfectly mingled in this great gospel. Let me uh, share with you a, a silly family illustration that hopefully will help uh, think about this a little deeper. When my kids were young, Maddie was maybe 10 and Isaiah was 9, we got up pretty late on a Saturday morning. There was a time in my life when I used to be able to sleep in. Right? Does anybody remember those days? Yeah. Used to be able to sleep in. And so we got up late on a Saturday and we were going to make brunch in a leisurely way. And it was like 10.30 and we were making brunch. By the time we were going to be done, it was going to be more like lunch than brunch. But that was fine. And I walked into the kitchen and was in there for a moment. And what I experienced was my son mistreating his mom. And so I said to him, this needs to stop now. And if you disobey me, you are going to spend this very nice summer afternoon in your room cleaning instead of outside playing with your friends in the neighborhood. I don't know that I'd gotten it out and more than 10 or 15 seconds had gone by before Isaiah mistreated his mom again in the exact same ways that I had just told him not to. I mean, he, he, he like looked at me and directly disobeyed. And so I told him to go to his room. I said, you are going to spend this beautiful summer afternoon in your room instead of playing with your friends. Now listen to me, parents. I would almost always tell you that when we establish discipline, we need to make it stick. As a matter of fact, uh, on February 17th, I'm going to be a part of teaching a parenting seminar in that room right in there. And one of the things I'm going to say about discipline is when you establish discipline, make it stick. But on this day, I went a little different direction. 
My son went upstairs. I don't know that there was a lot of cleaning that took place for the first period of time that he was in his room. But eventually, I heard things start to get shuffled around and moved around. You know, he, he cleaned like a nine-year-old, and so there was probably some sense of larger mess after he'd been in there a while rather than smaller mess. But after about an hour and a half of him being up in his room, he came downstairs, tears running down his cheeks. And he said to me, Dad, I'm sorry for disobeying you. And I'm sorry for what I did to Mom. Now listen, my, my discernment is not perfect. But in that moment, I genuinely thought he was sorry for what he did rather than being sorry that he's stuck in his room while he can hear his friends playing outside. And so I decided that maybe we could learn a different lesson this day. And so I went upstairs and I told Isaiah, Isaiah, I want you to go outside and play with your friends. And he said, but dad, I, I gotta clean my room for what I did. And I said, your room needs to be clean, right? But I'm gonna clean your room and you're gonna go outside and play with your friends. He looked at me and he knew this had to be a trick, right? <laughs> Give you some sense of the home that they grew up in. He just assumed this was a trick. I think I had to tell him two or three more times before he finally believed me that this is what I wanted. And eventually he went outside and he spent the rest of the afternoon playing with his friends and I spent the afternoon cleaning his room. He came back in around dinner time, gave me a big hug, said thank you, and we sat down and we talked about mercy. We talked about the mercy that he'd been shown that day. He recognized what I deserved was to be in my room all afternoon cleaning my room. But that's not what I received. And I didn't receive it because my dad was willing to come in and clean my room for me. Right? So that he got to go out and play with his friends all afternoon. And this is a small and silly picture of the mercy that God shows to us. He doesn't just say to us, you are meant to be cleaning your room for all of eternity because of the wrong you've done, but let's just forget about any of that wrong. Let's just forget any of it happened. No, he steps in and he cleans our room in our place so that we can experience the gracious goodness of playing with our friends in the street forevermore. Right? That's, that's the gospel. God doesn't just say, oh, you did wrong. Oh, oh, there's punishment that's deserved. Let's just sweep that under the rug. Let's just forget it never happened. No, God's mercy is poured out through his justice. His justice that was poured out upon Jesus on the cross as our great substitute. What good news there is in that. But the news gets even better. Because it is also true that God's justice insists Right? God's justice insists that once a sin has been paid for, it cannot be charged again. If Jesus has paid for that sin on my behalf, it is unjust for that sin to be charged against me now. It's already been paid. What would happen if uh, on Friday of this last week, the utility company came to my wife and said, you need to pay your utility bill, and my wife paid the utility bill? And then on Monday, tomorrow, the utility company came to me and said, you need to pay your utility bill. 
And I said, no, my, my wife just paid that on Friday. And they said, we know she paid it. Now it's your turn to pay it. Right? What would I do? I would not pay it. Right? Because it is unjust. That debt has been satisfied, and it wouldn't be just for them to charge me again for what has already been paid. And that is precisely the situation when it comes to what Christ has done on our behalf. He paid for the sins. It would be unjust for us to now be charged for what he has paid for. That is why 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Anybody ever heard this verse before? Right? Are there people in the room who've heard this verse hundreds of times? How deeply have you thought about and meditated on this verse? Why is God's forgiveness and cleansing tied to his faithfulness and justice? Right? Do I really want justice in this situation? Shouldn't this verse say, if we confess our sins, he is merciful and gracious to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from Or he is merciful and compassionate to forgive us our sins. He is faithful and just. Right? Why does it say that? He says it because God's mercy and his justice are completely intertwined. Christ has paid the price for your sin. And so when you come before the Lord and you confess that sin, you do recognizing that Christ has paid the price for that sin and now it would be unjust for God to charge you again for that sin. Right? So when we come before the Lord, we confess our sins and we recognize He's completely faithful. He has promised to show us mercy. And, and what are the chances that'll happen? 100% because He is completely faithful to His word. Not only that, but He is just. And because justice has already been satisfied on the cross of Christ, you are guaranteed forgiveness as his child. And so we recognize that as we are confessing our sins before him. Forgiveness and cleansing are guaranteed because Christ has already paid what was owed. Right? Does news get any better than that? Right? That's as good as it gets, friends. And it's what we celebrate every time we go to the Lord's table, isn't it? that Jesus satisfied the justice of God on our behalf so that God's mercy might be poured out on us. So good. And I want us to celebrate that right now. As we prepare our hearts and minds to go to the table today, I want to do it a little bit differently. I'm going to go ahead and just read some passages. I'd invite you to bow your heads and, and close your eyes. And I'm just going to read some passages that are about Jesus' substitutionary atonement for our sins. And I would invite you to just meditate on these. Pray through them. I'm going to read them slowly so that you can focus on each of these passages. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, 
without blemish or spot. Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Amen. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Romans 3, 21 through 24. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds we have been healed Isaiah 53 5 and 6 but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And finally, Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Friends, we're going to sing praises to Jesus for what he has done on our behalf right now. When you're ready, I'd invite you to get up and make your way to the tables that are in the four corners of the room. You can get the bread and the cup there and then return to your seat and I'll lead us in the taking of those elements that represent, represent Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf in just a few minutes. Let's praise the Lord together. stand, no legacy survive. 
the Lord's table this morning, having reflected on God's mercy and God's justice, we see God's mercy and God's justice both fully at the Lord's table as we remember what Christ has done, as we remember that Christ took the full justice of God's payment of sin on himself for us 
and in so doing extended the mercy of God to those of us who would respond by faith to what Christ has done. Praise Jesus for that. And we, we take a moment to remember the weight of that justice and the cost of that mercy. Would you just take one more moment with me to remember what this mercy and what this grace has cost? continue to respond to God's word this morning as we continue to respond to his grace that we can find at the cross we're going to move into a time of worship through offering through giving of ourselves to the Lord as we do every week we want to start this time of worship in prayer prayerfully giving ourselves to the Lord as we have recognized his mercy extended to us as justice was fulfilled at the cross for our sakes, we respond to that grace this morning by giving ourselves fully to the Lord and fully to the things that he has called us back to. That in trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, we're not merely made legally right before God, but we're given new life. And we are able to participate in the redemptive work that God calls us to because of it as well and so we remember that we thank the Lord and as a church body and as individuals we commit ourselves to give ourselves to God's mission of seeking and saving the lost so would you pray with me over the offering right after we pray the ushers will be coming forward with the red buckets you can drop your connect cards and your uh, worshiping through offering in there as well but, but let's pray over that time Father, we thank you for your grace that we just remembered at your table, Jesus, as we remembered what it cost. We thank you. We thank you that your justice was not just swept under the rug, but it was fully met so we can approach the throne now with confidence and receive grace upon grace because you are so good to us and we thank you that you call us to new life and you call us to be a part of your work 
of extending that mercy to those around us, to those who don't know you. We give ourselves to that mission this morning. And as you call us to give of our time and our talent and our treasure to that, we respond with obedient hearts that are joyful and worship you, King Jesus. And so take what we can offer and multiply it into spiritual fruit as the gospel bears fruit in our hearts, in the lives of our families, here in this church, in the community surrounding